Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, uh, joined as always by Jason Daphnis, our producer and co-host. Hey, Jason. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, I'm doing okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're doing. <laughs> in, in, in the scheme of life right now, I'm doing okay. Um, and yeah, so today's show is a little different. Um, sadly, it's, it's, a, it's another sort of memorial show, um, similar to what we did for Florian Schneider of Kraftwerk and Eddie Van Halen more recently. Uh, but we thought, you know, that this, this person is, uh, I think a legend, certainly in underground hip hop circles. And, uh, I think, you know, if you were on Twitter on, on New Year's Eve when his death was announced, I think you kind of saw some of the, the love pouring in from all. A wide variety of artists in, in hip hop, uh, everybody from, you know, Vince Staples to Chuck D to Playboy Cardi to, you know, uh, Tyler, the creator, you know, he, he really had a, a, a broad influence in hip hop. Of course, we're talking about Daniel Dumoulay, a.k.a. Zev Love X, a.k.a. King Ghidorah, Victor Vaughn, Metal Fingers, uh, and more commonly known as MF Doom, uh, who passed away apparently on on Halloween, which is kind of oddly appropriate, just given he was a, a masked man. and. Uh, you know, it was it was a sad day to to find out that, that Doom was gone. Um, and we were also joined by a special guest, somebody that'll be very familiar to the Minmax community. And uh, he he's also a big uh, MF Doom fan. And we're we're extremely happy to have Surreal Vasquez on the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge Doom fan, so it was really uh, I, when the opportunity to talk about him on mic came up, I I jumped at it. I I'm uh, obviously kind of broken up about his death, but I'm happy to be able to memorialize him. Yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, you know, there, there were so many people, you know, so many well-known rappers from all different generations and, and all really all different styles from like commercial to very underground that were really, you know, tweeting about him uh, that on New Year's Eve when it was announced by, I believe, his widow and also Rhyme Sayers Records. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of goes to show that, you know, like sales are, are sales and, and, you know, fame is fame. But I, I think the impact that he had, you know, on an underground level really touched a lot of a lot of people and influenced a lot of artists. So it's, it's, it was kind of interesting for me. And, and I was happy to see, you know, just how much of an outpouring of grief there really was on, uh, on New Year's Eve. Yeah. And uh, for me personally, it was, I think he's kind of one of the bigger celebrity deaths that's impacted me because even, even larger artists like Prince and, and Bowie, as much as like those, I understand like how much of a moment those were. Um, I think the underground part of it is really important because it always feels like the underground music always feels more yours than than other kinds of music so if you think about prince and, and bowie like those are definitely like legends for sure but it always felt like oh here's like a much larger artist that tons of people experienced that was everyone's experience and everyone can kind of get together to to you know remember remember them but doom always felt like now he's the thing that i knew and like my a couple of my friends knew and i talked about him on like forums and stuff so like yeah. to see people <laughs> yeah. people come out of the woodwork to talk about him was like really heartening in a way of like oh all these other people also had this experience that that felt very personal and very like, you know, Doom wasn't, you know, hitting top 40s. Right. And so it felt like, OK, we secretly all kind of acknowledged that he was he, he was a legend, uh, even if we all came to him from like different sides and like at different points in our lives. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Doom might be the message board rapper of all time. Yeah, like he's he's just sort of his his the way his music and we'll get into the music uh, in a bit here, but just the way his music was, there were so many just weird little asides and odd samples and references to like super obscure like seventies cartoons and like weird sneaker brands that no one remembers and like yeah. it was almost like it was it's sort of music that I think 
rewards being kind of obsessed over. And I, I, I never got the mm-hmm. sense there was a lot of casual MF Doom fans. I think you were either like, this guy's a genius or sort of indifferent to what he did. Yeah, he, he, he almost reminds me of like Chris Nolan in a lot of ways where it's like it's kind of the first example of like, oh, I, I understand film or like I'm a huge like he's kind of a, a gateway to becoming a really big fan of like breaking down songs or like understanding, you know, um, music on this different level of like, ah, oh, you, you listen to Doom, but like I get him, you know, like I figured I, I've done the research and figured out where all the samples come from. And I know all the the references he's making to Hanna-Barbera cartoons on this album. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's like genius.com. His genius stuff is exactly like absurd. It's almost absurd. The level of like (laughs) Wikipedia esque like detail that people go into like on his references on, on genius as well, which is really funny. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, and I'll get into like how I did sort of, you know, my relationship with him, but, uh, when did you kind of first discover doom and, and kind of, I don't know, just what, what was it that sort of spoke to you or grabbed you? Yeah. So I, I was a pretty, I I think my, my, casual doom experiences honestly because i listened to him on the gorillas uh, album uh demon days he was on a a track called november has come and i remember thinking like oh like at the time i didn't listen to a lot of hip-hop and gorillas was like a huge gateway for me into hip-hop um because by then i I didn't know what you know forums were and so i mostly listened to top 40 stuff but gorillas was sort of like my slow introduction into like less mainstream stuff and Doom was definitely one of those artists where it's like, oh man, I really love the distinct sound of his voice. He's like he he knows, uh, like he knows kind of how to measure his voice like like you know, an instrument, which was like the first time I'd heard something like that from like a, a rapper. And so I remember listening to like, oh, he he has an album coming out. I think I I don't know if it already come out or if it was about to come out. And I listened to Mad Villain uh, Villainy. I I. I think I kazad some of the songs from uh, wow. from that album back when you could still do that, uh, um, and like was like, oh man, this is. It wasn't the first time uh, that someone had sampled, you know, like obscure things for, for use in a song, but it was like the first time that I had really heard it. So I was like, oh, this is an interesting way to approach a song. Is to just drop in little samples of of other uh, movies and and cartoons and stuff. Yeah, that 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 was uh, a common, I think thing that I, I saw on Twitter a lot that night that we found out he had passed away um, of people, you know, of, of your age that, 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 that gorillas record, I think was maybe the only time he came close to kind of touching what you would call like mainstream music. And I think a lot of that had to do with probably the connection through Del the funky homo sapien, who's really from the same kind of underground generation of hip hop that, that doom was. And I'm sure that's probably how that connection was made. Um, and I think Damon Alburn from blur is also a big hip hop fan. So I think that you're right that the way the timing of that set up for his career, I think that took him kind of into a next level. Cause like a lot of people discovered him through a very popular band. And then he came out with, I don't know if everyone considers it his, his best album. I mean, it's, it's a really great album. It's certainly, I think maybe a more accessible album in some ways for, I mean, relative speaking for doom, but uh, I think that that kind of one, two punch of those things really exposed him to a lot, a lot of new people. And then once you start digging into his catalog and there's so many, you know, aliases and different projects under different names, and it's kind of like this puzzle you kind of have to piece together of like, like, who is this guy? Why is he calling himself King Ghidorah for one record? Or yeah. you know, why is he calling himself Victor Vaughn, the vaudeville villain? It's just like, he he didn't do, it was like he almost did this sort of anti-marketing that in its own way was effective marketing because he he sort of like obscured who he was and did things that I'm sure were contrary to how you would normally market an artist. Like, you wouldn't just make up a new name for yourself and do an album under that name and an alias just because 
who knows why, you know, it's, I thought that was kind of interesting. I think it creates a sense of mystery about the man that, that I think was yeah. another big draw for people. Yeah. And I, th- he, I think he maintained that throughout his entire career. Right? Cause he, he, you think about even someone like Rob Zombie, who was like, Oh, I'm going to be like a monster on stage. I'm going to be like, wear all this makeup and look re- really weird. I, I think some of his latter albums, he kind of did taper off and just, I'm just going to be the guy walk. I'm going to be Rob Zombie doing my thing on stage, but I'm not going to like go super elaborate, you know, stage show. And then, but like doom, his, his premise was a lot simpler of just wearing the mask, but that, that was his thing, basically, his entire career. Like, it's still kind of rare to find pictures of him without his mask on. Yeah, and I mean, it was interesting to me, too, because I, I had remembered his previous incarnation, which we'll, I'll, we'll get into. His, kind of, his life story is extremely interesting. Um, but, you know, he was formerly Zev Love X in, uh, in KMD. He had been on a big hit song, the, the Gas Face by Third Base, that was really popular. And, and so, like, I was a fan of KMD. And then, he, you know, when he came back, I realized talking to younger people is like, well, they don't like, they literally think he's like, he just came out of nowhere. You know, like they have no idea. Like he, it sort of like erased his past in a certain way. Um, so yeah, it, it's an interesting tale and, and like, you know, feel free to jump in. I just, for people just to catch you up, if you're not super familiar with doom, uh, his life story is, is interesting. And there was a lot of, I think, you know, personal tragedy and kind of tri- uh, tribulation maybe that, that went into the creation of doom. So he came out, I think, probably very early 90s in KMD. He was Zev Lovax with his partner, Subrock, and they were best friends. Um, they I think really, they were brothers, wasn't he? Wasn't oh, yeah, they were brothers. His yeah, brother? Yeah, yeah. Brother, yeah. Um, and uh, they, uh, they come out, they have an album called Mr. Hood. It's a great album. It did pretty, it did, did well. I mean, I think they were in the, in the zone with bands of like De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest and uh, you know, Jungle Brothers, Diggable Planets, that kind of scene back then. Um, so their second album is called Black Bastards. And Black Bastards, the cover art is was very controversial. It had, um, oh boy. <laughs> They're basically lynching sort of, I guess, a caricature, kind of a little black Sambo caricature um, on the cover of it. And it's a, it's a cartoon drawing. And um, this is around the time that Ice... Ice T released a song "Cop Killer" with his heavy metal band Body Count. The result of that were huge controversy. I think there was even like congressional hearings about like rap and everything. And somehow, somebody involved in this got a hold of the cover art to Black Bastards, and you know they they basically said, "Oh, they're lynching," you know, a, a character of a black man on the cover. And and the the irony is that you know KMD was like the furthest thing from a gangster rap group that you could really be, and the the message was that they were trying to like they're sort of lynching like that caricature you know what i mean and trying yeah. to like send that message result was it got pulled it didn't come out for many years later so they kind of got dropped subrock is is killed in a car accident um and i think i mean my sense is that you know doom kind of i don't know if he fell into like a kind of a hole or depression or whatever but he kind of disappears for many years yeah. he starts doing uh open mic nights with this kind of, uh, you know, gladiator metal mask that's since become iconic. Yeah. And like in the middle of it, it like he, he was trekking basically from Atlanta to New York, right. Where he was con- like visiting his parents and kind of just basically living a, a regular life while I think he was, he ended up finishing black bastards by himself because I think one of the other members ended up leaving and then, you know, Subrock passed away. So he was just kind of left to sit there with, you know, what, what is happening in his life around that time. Yeah, and so then he released, I mean, I think the first time I remember reading a, there was a magazine called The Source, and there was a 12-inch called Dead Bent, which is on Operation Doomsday, which is the album we're going to get into here. 
Um, but yeah, so I remember I went and bought it at Fifth Element, uh, which is like the Rhyme Sayers uh, label record store that went out of business, I think, last year. But uh, anyway, and, and it was cool because like I, you know, I had sort of totally forgotten about, you know, Zev Love X and KMD. They weren't like a super popular group, you know, um, and then... I don't know. I bought that album. It's just it, like we'll get, we can get into Operation Doomsday because it's sort of the one that you know, really you know put him put him on the map in underground circles. It was released on Fondulum Records, which was uh, Bobito from Stretch and Bobito, the legendary New York DJs, uh, his label, and uh, it's a uh, it's 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 a cool record, man. And there was there was certainly nothing nothing like it. And I'll be curious because I know you guys kind of came in uh, more probably in the Mad Villainy era. So I'm, I'm curious, like, because this this album is is very like kind of. It's very raw. Um, so I don't know. Why don't we just uh, let's uh, play maybe what's the first song here? Well, why don't we just play uh, Doomsday? Mike, check. This is a sample of uh, Kiss of Life by Chardin. <laughs> Hold mics like ponytails tight and bobble ops. Stop, stick around, come through and dig the sound of the fly brown 606 cycle. Who throws a dick around? Bound to go three plat. Came to destroy rap. It's an intricate plot of a B boy strap. Fem stack cats get kidnapped. Then release a statement to the press. Let the rest know who did that. Metal fist terrorists claim responsibility. Broken but I love this loop so much. It's so smooth. I love yeah. that kind of smooth jazz. I like to take men's to the end for two milli. <laughs> yeah, there's. It, it definitely feels a lot like uh, uh, Tribe Called Quest, which you mentioned earlier. What are you hearing here, Serial? Yeah, I, I think that a lot of it feels like. I, I think at the time I remember reading, I, as I was doing research, it felt like there was a lot of reviews saying, "Oh, it sounds like old school. It sounds very like it sounds. It doesn't sound like it was released in '99. It feels like it was released, at, you know, at least five or ten years earlier." And that to me almost almost struck a chord of like, "Oh, he's just picking off where he left off," you know, like he he's he's kind of building on, you know, obviously one of his contemporaries was Tribe Called Quest, and it just feels like he yeah. he was sort of channeling that same kind of like socially conscious really aware rap of like like you mentioned earlier a lot of their raps were about trying to fight back against stereotypes uh and so it it does have this really strong element of like of like joy in it of just like yeah it's like i'm here like my experiences have been have been really dour but like i'm i want to celebrate you know like the the people around me in a in a weird way that i think you was especially like in 99 did not feel like it was of the of like the mood in all no, ways no another interesting thing that i think in some ways some of these tracks like this one and uh god we should also listen to rhymes like dimes is another one i think uh <laughs> these good lines man uh but uh, what i was going to come back to a little bit is that you know some of this stuff 
I think almost sounds a little bit more contemporary now. Like using these type of like real like kind of smooth jazz or like real eighties like early eighties kind of like adult R and B samples. Like people weren't really using mm-hmm. that. Like you know it was definitely more the samples were more like kind of a gritty kind of like either Wu Tang or like you know Dr. Dre style West Coast beats and like now you hear there's artists you know even like. I mean, I guarantee Kanye West like listened to this record for sure. You know, with some of his like old yeah. soul samples. I think people like uh, Thundercat. You know, in his kind of like, he has a very kind of '80s kind of jazz fusion style. I'm sure that this was influential, and and I don't think you know, it doesn't. It sounds almost more contemporary to me in, cer- in certain ways. The the type of like like synth tones and things that he's sampling than it than it did back at the time. Yeah, in in a weird way, it sounds like ahead of its time for how retro it was. You know, to to harken back in this way yeah let's uh let's we should uh listen to rhymes like dimes um this is built on a sample a quincy jones and jeffrey ingram sample of quincy jones album the dude uh which is you know again like this stuff was about as far from hip like you know it was this is totally like him sampling like you know his parents records you know what i mean like like african-american mom and dad kind of music you know Hey, yo, yo, y'all can't stand right here. In his right hand was your man's worst nightmare. Loud enough to burst his right ear drum close range. The game was not only dangerous. But some of this reminds me of like early Kanye. Like, not exactly, mm-hmm. but I could see Kanye liking this. Yeah. Where he'll take like one short, like, 10 second thing and just like squeeze it for all it's worth, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and this one definitely has more of like a, a tr- more traditional, like, battle rap structure uh, like in terms of the lyricism where it's like oh here's here's me like talking myself up and then like kind of dunking on you know uh other people but it, it i think it kind of this is like the first kind of distinction of like this there's going to be a lot of different sounds and a lot of different structures on this album I sell rhymes like dimes. The one who mostly keep cash will brag about the broker times. Better rhymes make for better songs. It matters not if you got a lot of what it takes just to get along. Surrender now, so for serious setbacks. Got get back, connects, wet back, get stacks. Even if you got, got his just. I get so addicted to his phrasing and it's like his rhyme patterns. Yeah. It's just there's something very addictive and like it's the way he constructs his lines and the way he like rhymes like almost like halves of sentences sometimes mm-hmm. i just I, it's such it's such an addictive flow to me yeah and it and it's i think the thing that has led to him becoming so popular on like forums and stuff is that just just when you the, the lyrics you end up catching are just like you immediately want to kind of because he turns a phrase right you immediately want to unturn it and like kind of pull it apart and i think that kind of starts the process of like Oh well, now that I'm listening to the rest of the lyrics, he does that throughout the entire song. So let's dig into it. He uses like really like sometimes like old fashioned like tally ho and like egads and stuff like that, yeah. or like uh, elementary, my dear Watson and stuff like that. It's really cracks me up yeah I, it definitely feels like he will pull from any possible source to get a rhyme in and then make make that the kind of the hook of the song because he knows it kind of sounds novel
has almost like a cool Stevie Wonder kind of feel. Yeah. This is where Bobito stoned in the studio and goes on for like three minutes. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> what else? Uh, what's another? Uh, oh, uh, Red and Gold is another one I really am a big fan of. Yeah. This song grew on me for sure. Like this is one of those songs where the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, this is this is good. It's not as strong as some of the other stuff, but like I think I think it's that um, I'm not like a big you know uh, music head in terms of like. defining instrumentation but like the twang that underpins like the first verse of that song just grew on me so hard it's like one of those one of those really strong touches that i think grounds that entire song and it just makes it uh incredible i think isn't this also the maybe the first one that features king gidra one of is that one of his other personas at this time or is this actually another separate artist i believe that's a persona but he's also king Ghidorah. i can't and he also has this, he had this group called Monster Island Czars, and I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I can't, sometimes I, I can't like remember what's like, <laughs> what's him and what's like. I think King, per- King Ghidorah is Mattel? him. Yeah. Okay. And I think there were a bunch of people like Kong and then, uh, well, yeah, yeah a, bunch of, a bunch of people MF, who named themselves after like famous monsters, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then MF Grimm, who we can get into on, which, who has actually a solo song on this record. Uh, he's a, also known as Jet Jaguar. MF Grimm was a, Another part of the Monster Island Czars, and uh, well, let's nice. l- let's hear uh, let's hear Red and Gold. <laughs> like that right there. That's like very Kanye, mm-hmm. you know. But just repeating that. Dun, dun. Yeah, Kanye would probably have like a spoken word intro to this song too, where he's like. Yeah, we're about to get into it. Is it like uh, something like that, where th- right before the the actual any singing yeah. starts. Kanye, How I mean, you I say that and then <laughs> and then not actually just freestyle a Kanye lyric over it, Surreal. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? <laughs> Sorry. I can feel it in my melanin. What, what a line! Like, the whole album is full of those. Yeah. Like it was an eclipse. Just don't look directly to the bitch. You may be blinded by the scripts. Pass the L. The last tells us an absurd This is that twang I was talking about yeah, earlier. Yeah, I love that. Oh. Yeah, it sounds like I'm in the Shadow Temple a little bit. Yeah. Ignore the rule. Fuck up and get his man killed. Yeah, it's so cool because it's, it's such an underground kind of hardcore rap album, but like the, the samples are so like, you know, it's kind of soft in a way, you know? Yeah. Like the, the you don't really know where the mood of the song is going half the time. And it just, I feel like that tank just transforms the mood of the song. And then the vocals kick in for that. And it's like, it's just a whole different song every, you know, 30 seconds. It's kind of interesting. We can keep going until you have another suggestion, man. 
Oh yeah, I, I, I kind of wanted to touch on MF Grimm just a bit because he's kind of an interesting story in, a, in and of himself. Sure. Let me pause. So, uh, we can get into it. Yeah, like uh, so MF Grimm, which we can hear on Tick Tick, which another interesting thing, and it happens on Mad Villain as well. Like he he's kind of very uh, he's interesting in, in with as you kind of mentioned earlier, um, surreal that you know kind of this sense of like community. Like he'll he'll seed like actual songs on his whole and his own album like to other people. You know, like Tick Tick, which we'll hear. And this this one's really cool because of the, the kind of changing tempo thing that they do. But um, this is MF Grimm, who was part of the Monster Island Czars. But Grimm actually, uh, <laughs> so he was he was a close associate. Um, I believe Grimm might have been involved in, uh, at one point, kind of more street life, let's say. Uh, he was shot um, as he was recording his first album. And he went in a coma. And apparently somebody stole the master tapes to his first album when he was in a coma. Um, he comes out of the coma and is now since, you know, been confined to a wheelchair. He's, he's been paralyzed. Um, so he eventually, he does a, uh, an album called The Downfall of Abilius, um, which is this kind of concept album that's actually really genius. And, and those stolen masters were found eventually, or some of them were found and they came out as a uh, album called Scars and Memories. But, uh, yeah, he's a really interesting guy in his own right. Um, he recently did a concept album called The Hunt for the Gingerbread Man. It's kind of this, like, it's about, like, the gingerbread man and, like, Candyland kind of stuff. And then a, <laughs> a three-part Vietnam War mixtape called Good Morning Vietnam, parts one through three. So, like, uh, Grimm is is an interesting cat uh, in his own right. And I think they've they had some falling out over the years, but I think they might be or they were, I think, better in recent years. But let's listen to Tick Tick, because I think this is an interesting song, especially just the way that they they slow up and speed up the beat, and he kind of raps to this kind of very awkward kind of lurching thing is, is very interesting. I don't think I've ever heard it done. How long? You know when you're going to come in? Nobody will never, ever, ever uh, really uh-huh, didn't know. Uh-huh, uh-huh, the more you know, uh-huh, the more you know that uh-huh. you don't know shit. Niggas will never run out of shit, huh? So much shit, so much scripts to do here. This is another one out of shit. Enjoy the roller coaster ride. <laughs> Multifaceted. Yeah. Uh huh. Walk the path of Jesus, witness of hell freezes, the mind teases, reality cracked to pieces, nothing eases, being chastised with blood baptized, dies, revives, acknowledge past lives, statements will be made, acknowledge me, acknowledge me. my mind is heaven's gate, so when... Like, <laughs> this must be incredibly hard to do, like, mm-hmm. to rap I, I know. Is, the, is the tempo, and, and this is, you know, probably pre, like, Pro Tools, I think Doom kind of used somewhat archaic equipment, um... So he's probably just literally, you know, on a sampler, like hitting the tempo button up and down, like manually as the, as he's tracking. Yeah, and and to have a uh, a rap that basically matches the the tone of the song like this, I think is really impressive because you you don't necessarily think about what it's like to have to rap to to a beat like that. Yeah. Oh God, it'd be incredibly difficult. Um, and yeah, I just think it's interesting that, you know, he has a song on his, his debut album that he's not even rapping on. Um, yeah. Is there a, you know, Surreal, I just wanted to, uh, any, any songs that kind of stuck out to you or that we haven't mentioned so far that you wanted to get to? Uh, I think the finest is probably the, 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 the one that I would, I would pick of those. I think, um, the, where I mentioned, uh, a tribe called quest earlier, I think this is definitely like a little bit more like eighties top 40. I think that's the closest he gets. 
um, where it just has this really powerful drum beat packing it. And I think it's kind of where a lot of his lyrical stylings of like, oh, this is a really clever turn of phrase get really um, uh, where I think it's strongest. All right, we'll drop in at your timestamp at one thirty in the finest. You blow my mother, my father, but can't bleed me. No OG. Ghetto misery. Blow my brother, my sister, but can't bleed me. My OG. Ghetto misery. Blow my mother, my father, but can't bleed me. Sci-fly, whole style, stuck up. Used to talk to myself. I told him, shut the fuck up. I love that line. Oh, my God. He said, keep talking that shit. You about to be snuffed. Then we squashed it, I let him know, watch it. We only made the time to join these rhymes in the mosh pit. Gossip feel great just to increase the chance for a pussy nigga face to hit the dance floor. I'll pull your up. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of one of those things where it's where he, he starts this and then basically does this throughout a lot of his career where some of his best lyrics are just like, the only like concurrent thread that's holding all of this narrative together is like the words that I'm rhyming together. And so that, it gives you this really rough understanding of this is him kind of helping, hyping himself up. Like I used to talk to myself I told him shut the fuck up yeah. right and so like so you don't know where he's going but then you realize that the things that are anchoring it are like the different rhymes and so it just becomes this like really kind of very loose spoken word association kind of thing and that's that's what he has like what is he is so good at uh, of doing in his lyrics absolutely and then I think the other kind of more Wu-Tang-ish track is, is Who You Think I Am I think that one is uh, the one where he basically has like a bunch of different people on it oh yeah like the big posse kind of song yeah that one I think is probably the one where where you feel the strength of his, of his whole shtick of like I'm a super villain you know I'm gonna get back at the industry that scarred me and and I'm gonna bring like this is him kind of assembling like the Legion of Doom right yeah exactly and then and weirdly so that that song we just heard featured Tommy Gunn this next song Tommy Gunn is on it as well but he's he's in on that song he's Megalon which I guess was Tommy Gunn's other. Like all these guys have like two names. <laughs> it's just, yeah, like, it gets, like he, I was looking confusing. at the Monster Island Czars page, and it's just like this really long list of people who are who go by two different names. Like Magura goes by DJZ, Megalon is yeah. Tommy Gunn, King Caesar's X-Ray. Like just a lot of people having fun with the idea of creating a persona for as a rapper, right? Yeah, Which I and, think it goes to his whole shtick, right? And that's a, you know that's a cool thing we should touch on too. That just was another big piece of like just Doom's whole. I guess mythology, you know, in the same way that I think the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, really built such an awesome kind of, you know, mental world around, you know, the Kung Fu movies that they and martial arts movies that they grew up on. Uh, he really like, you know, focused in on kind of late night Godzilla movies. He must, you know, he seemed like a guy that got stoned on Saturday mornings and watched a lot of cartoons, you know, so like, I, I just love that he had just all his uh, pop culture references were almost like willfully kind of obscure. They weren't like, you know. Sometimes you have to like Google search stuff that he references yeah. and try to like figure out what he's even talking about, and then you're like, "Oh wow, that's cool, interesting." Yeah, and I think I, I read an interview with him where he he kind of added some substance to that idea of like, "Well, I'm going to wear a mask and I'm going to basically sample all this Hanna Barbera stuff," and that's all to lend credence to the idea that like when when rappers go up on stage, they're really creating a character, right? And it's often just like uh, a more you know like 
uh, like uh, a puffed up version of themselves of like they'll talk about you know how they you know how they grew up and stuff but it's like almost this fictional version of their accomplishments and so he he's he basically said like i'm just taking that to the extreme right like why just become a better version of myself why not just become like an all-powerful super villain that everyone's terrified of and him leaning into the idea of him being a villain like someone who is constantly like put down on society and seen as a villain he's basically kind of lean into that and, and have that give him power yeah, it was interesting. I, I wish I could remember who this was, but it was somebody on New Year's Eve when it was announced on Twitter that somebody that had worked with him, you know, and, and done shows and, and other things. And he was saying that, you know, he showed up and he was, he was Daniel Dumoulet and, you know, he's super nice talking to people, you know, before the show, everything cool. How are you? Remembers things about you. Then he goes in the dressing room. When he comes out, and he's got the mask and the hat on. He like acted different. He wasn't mm-hmm. friendly anymore. You know, he was kind of just like, like being terse with the sound guy. You know, like it was like he really, when he put the mask on, it was like he really was like the supervillain and to the point where like, I guess in real life, his like personality backstage even changed. Like he became in character, like not even just for the audience, but just for life. And uh, and then also there was the stuff where he would do, you know, like I actually saw a friend of mine tweeted the other day. He's a, he's a music journalist and he had some pictures you know, he was known for sending out, you know, other guys with the mask sometimes to like just do shows and get paid and just lip sync. <laughs> and uh, my my friend had found a bunch of pictures and he's pretty sure that he'd sent a, a fake doom out to like do a big slot at the like that huge Pitchfork Music Festival in Chicago. Which is like insane to me, like yeah. in front of like 60,000 people, he sent out like a fake, a fake doom. That's, yeah, well, that's just how confident he was in the thing, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, and it, I think it speaks so well. I think it. I don't think it's unintended, but it, it definitely feels like a, a really nice perk of like, I'm famous, but I can also just become anonymous, right? Like, I, I take the mask off, and people don't know that they were like, you know, walking along the street with Doom, and then he puts on the mask, and it's like, oh wait, that was the guy. Like, you know, that was the guy from earlier, and yeah. that kind of gives him this power that I don't think a lot of celebrities now, especially rappers, don't necessarily get to have, where they they can be both. No, and I mean, you know, he's just from a different era of, you know, before Instagram and before all that stuff. You know, artists are so, we're so entwined with uh, almost like their daily lives. Like, we see them, oh, wow, they went and got a bagel, you know, and... Yeah, and I think that that actually reminds me that one of maybe my top five tweets of all time is from him, where he, like, for years, just his one tweet that he ever posted on the MF Doom account was, Doom is not on Twitter. And that was, that that's one of the most popular tweets. And then it, it's because he's just saying, like, it's basically the equivalent of, like, drill posting no uh, on it and making <laughs> totally. that a twin Pete. It's just saying, I'm not going to participate in this, but I, I'm locking down the account so no one else can. And, then, and and I think in 2019, I think he started, like, it was a lot of, like, promotional, like, oh, I'm touring this stuff. But he, he, he never, like, was like, oh, I like, uh, he never made statements on Twitter. It was always just, like, here, yeah. here's where I'm going next, right? But I just love the, uh, the audacity, especially in like 2009 when when uh twitter is really taking off to say like i'm i will not be participating in this yeah and i mean if it was promotional stuff i i kind of wonder if that was just somebody that worked for him too you know what i mean i wonder yeah. if he was even doing that i know he, yeah. he kind of would say that like <clears throat> he considered the the sending out fake guys with the mask kind of like some sort of performance art kind of like commentary on like well what is an audience really paying for are they paying for you or are they paying for like an image or you know which you know, is is an interesting concept, whether that's, I mean, I think it's partially true. I think 
the other part is probably it was it was pretty fun to sit home and like watch TV and get a check for like twenty grand. Yeah. Like, and, and you know, kick kick the other guy five grand to that. You know what I mean? For doing nothing. But you know, hey, it works either way. Why don't we listen to uh what was the song? Sorry, uh Uh Who You Think I Am? Yeah, this is and this is just like a classic like rap posse yeah. where everyone's just kinda trying to top each other. We're jumping in just a few seconds in. On me, here's the plan. Stick him up. I enter through the window, stoop down so we can't see our crescendo past the endo. Yo, we used to be off. This one is probably the most Wu Tang clan of any of these yeah. songs. Definitely getting like uh Jizzariza vibes from from this initial verse. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm stupid. What do you mean by that? Uh like uh, the Rizza and Jizzar too, like the of the Wu Tang uh clan members basically. Oh, okay. And the sound so, you hear is just This sounds like the, yeah, like their rapping style. And even just this like this, really uh, this this loop even kind of sounds like a, a RZA loop mm-hmm. to me, kind of. I mean, I'm going to sound like an asshole. Um, I think it was RZA. Is he the one who's like really super into kung fu films and Asian cinema and stuff? Um, they all are, but him in particular, yeah. I mean, okay. Wu Tang were all like that's kind of their whole mythology was just based on like you know, mm. uh, all those like Shaolin. I love that. Uh, <laughs> like you can almost see this as being part of like Liquid Swords or something. Okay. I like this guy. He's got a lot of moxie. Yeah. Mixes. And, and this is the song, like you mentioned earlier, where he's credited as King Ghidorah. And it does feel slightly, he does sound slightly different. <laughs> That's a, wow. Are you, you guys are probably too young for that reference. Do you guys remember Zip Drives? The, I, I do remember Zip Drives. Big floppies, right? Uh, I Omega were these kind of like cartridge kind of thing. I don't know what they were like. Yeah, I, I feel like I have a different understanding of what a zip drive is. And yeah, I was just making something up, honestly. No, it was, <laughs> is that a USB drive with a zip file on it? Is that- <laughs> no, it's like it was these kind of big things, and they were like hard plat. Maybe it was an evolutionary step towards like uh, a you know a like a one terabyte you know solid state hard drive kind of thing, detachable. Yeah, what, one other one that I, one other song that I really liked is just like, Hey, I think is, is, is the name of it. Uh, just for how, how well he can work with a single sample. And in this one, it is like just the, I think it, it is a couple of samples off of Scooby-Doo cartoons where it's <laughs> yeah, just like, the, the, yeah, like one of those stingers from from a, an episode of scooby-doo plus the like yeah the the scooby-doo kind of yelp and then the, the the gang going hey i think is yeah the the titular one but it's such a it's such a like great showcase for how he's able to like just i'm just gonna turn this one sample and that's just gonna be this that's just gonna be the thing you take away from this song is like scooby-doo sounds <laughs> Games that I win at and stay the same with more rhymes than his waist skin cats. As a matter of fact, let me rephrase. With more rhymes and waste of filling. I always wonder if that dent dent is like from a Godzilla movie. I think that specifically the the that I think that might just be from Scooby Doo as well, but hmm. I'm not sure. 
You got that snotty your flows and snotty nose And holds mics like he knows karate body blows Nobody knows the trouble I see from the MPV fly dirty Like, I, yeah, I, I don't know what it was like listening to this when it came out But it's just the idea of like, this is what I've got going Like coming out of my car stereo Which is, I feel like would be incredibly strange at that time Yeah, it didn't feel like anything else, you know it really didn't. Her beats sound like karaoke with monkey rhymes on a leash. Like don't have this fabric choking. Hit him with a penny so we can get these peanuts. And I thought we was nuts. I used to get free cuts. They locked Lex Luthor up in Greenhaven. Since when a nigga never really been too clean shaven. Yeah, and this this is something that he ends up like leaning into throughout his entire career. Is like here's this really obscure kind of at the time, especially it was like here's a thing that you haven't heard in a song before and obviously now it's a lot more popular than it than it was then but i think he still makes better use of of these kinds of samples than i think uh, anyone other than uh let's say mad lib yeah um i wanted to there's a couple more i wanted to touch on uh one song that i think this particular verse and jason this is going to be the song question mark uh at 157 um because, you know, largely he's kind of throwing these obscure references and kind of like oddly funny kind of uh, elliptical kind of lines. But there's there's certain times in this where like, you know, he mentions death in certain ways or I, I think there's certain a certain mournful quality that sometimes kind of leaks through the persona and, and, and what he's doing. And in this particular uh, verse on question mark uh, where he kind of like, you know, talks about sub rock and uh, it's actually pretty affecting, I think, and kind of an interesting little aside on this album. Still bagging them too, you know I know These hoes be asking me from you Like my twin brother We did everything together From hundred ricots and lots To cop and brother lovers Remember when you went And got the dark blue ballys I had all the different color Kazals and Kazalis The sub rock Three finger ring With the ruby and the O-I Truly the illest dynamic duo On the whole block I keep a flick of you With the machete sword in your hand Everything is going According to plan, man With just that little I don't know. It seems like such sort of like a gallows humor, like a picture of you with a machete mm-hmm. in your head. Everything's going according to plan. And like, you know, of course, his whole life had basically been, you know, effectively like not destroyed, but just absolutely, you know, turned over in the in the past years. So I, I just I don't know. There's just little references he makes where you can kind of feel like the pain and the actual sadness that's that's in him. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think it goes to show that for as much as he is like this weird kind of trickster figure in 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 rap, I think there is a lot of substance to what he's talking about, and and yeah, it, like there there is kind of this like undercurrent of tragedy in his in his character, both in like oh like I'm you know this Doctor Doom character who's going to rule the day. The Fantastic Four defeated me, but it's also like there's a there's a very personal undercurrent to some of some of his songs where he just does uh, go like very very direct and personal. Yeah, and I mean, and that's such a classic, like, comic book kind of villain. Uh, usually the animating kind of event in, in their origin story is usually some sort of personal tragedy, and that usually can, you know, make you go, like, you know, Bruce Wayne way, or it can make you go the Joker way, or, you know what I mean? It's kind of an interesting, uh, the, the the supervillain persona usually kind of masks some, some sort of right. personal hurt. Um, I have one more. I did want to do, um, because this podcast is a, Steely Dan safe space. I think we need to, we need to listen to Gas Draws <laughs> oh because it has a, a Steely Dan sample. It's a, it's a really good song and it's a good little flip. And shout out to him too for like, I'm guaranteed when this came out on Fondalum in the like 
on a little tiny label before it was reissued. Like, there's no way he like cleared a sample with Steely Dan. He just like put this out and hoped he'd get away with it. And I guess he did. So this is another one where Serial also had a um, timestamp. Do we want to just start from the start, or is there a particular point? Either one's fine. I don't, Either I don't one's have fine. like a. It's yeah. just mostly it's a, that it's, it's a, a corner good. my eye thing, you know. Cool. Metal phase two. Operation Doomsday. So this is Black Cow by Steely Dan. By the way, I real on bad dreams, back up screams, mad schemes that heat shot like Jiffy. This is a dangerously Mad Helgeson song. <laughs> I know, it's like made for me. In real life, the real tripe scene might snatch your life like a salt machine. Rifle, dead up, set up like bullfight. Be blooded how will I cut it white or in full flight? The unemotional, call me antisocial. On the run, off the gun, death tally commercial. This is definitely another one of those songs that does sound like it would come off of like Liquid Swords or some of the, the Wu Tang solo projects as well. Totally. Are you a Steely Dan fan, Serial? I, I can't say that I am, but I do like its use here. I will say that much. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll put you to the back of the queue yeah. for having guests on again. <laughs> Report. You, you're gonna be. That's uh, fair. There's a van going to be pulling up after this podcast to take you to your local Steely Dan re- re-education I will say, center. I, yeah, I, like, I, I haven't had the chance to dislike it, I guess, is my best defense. I haven't listened to a lot of Steely Dan. <laughs> you hope so to, I wouldn't you say hope. that I hate it. I just haven't listened to it. You hope to dislike it someday, though. But this is like a really creative flip of that beat too. It's, he doesn't take yeah. like there's a very like there's a, a very like uh, kind of insistent groove in this song that, that was actually sampled by Lord Tariq and Peter Guns in the song Uptown Baby. But he kind of flips like some little keyboard parts in a weird way. So he's he's always creative with his samples the way he kind of like sequences them. Just I always love that line. Motherfucking mother, motherfucking mother goose. The pipe wishes the missus may be legal. Minus the baby eagle, any given summer's eve, don't breathe. Sixteen shots, I do believe, and one up the sleeve. Master of the O, who predict your last pause? I told y'all, hell and gas, drawers breaking, glass and plastic jaw, like federal drastic law. Fed up from fight, secret war with them fantastic fools. Versus doom with the metal face before it go to state. The whole better settle case, the flow is at pedal pace. Steady like tricycles, beware all suckers, froze like icicles. Bag them up and bagging bitches like nickels, cause I lick them where they tickle. Before I hit the clip, though. Well, I think we, we covered Operation Doomsday. This is obviously the, the classic debut album. It, you know, it's still, I think to this day, uh, just a, a very distinctive piece of work. And, you know, just it's, this is something so personal and kind of weird and quirky about it that it just kind of mm-hmm. always brings me back to it. Um, but now we'll, we'll switch gears to our, our next pick, which is, you know, we talked about it earlier. This is probably his most uh, successful album, I would imagine, commercially, and certainly probably his most acclaimed record. This is Mad Villain, um, a group he did with uh, Mad Lib, who's a, an underground hip hop legend and a producer in his own right. Um, so this was kind of like, even when they announced this, this was like a rap nerds, like, you know, dream combination, basically like these two guys. And also Quasimodo is involved in this as well. Another great uh, underground producer and, and rapper. Um, so yeah, Serial, just like, you know, this was kind of your gateway to him. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but what do you, what do you love about Mad Villain? 
I think it it, it is such a t- like tight album, just like production wise. I think that I don't know that there are any bad tracks on it. Like just any, it doesn't feel like there's any down moments. Like even even the introduction kind of skit uh, where they sample a lot of voice lines, I think stands out uh, really well and it it almost feels like a reintroduction of the character because I think Mad Villain is obviously like a different character from Doom technically. But I think for a lot of people, this being their first album, it's a, it's a good kind of first MF Doom album to listen to because, the you know, the the, the Illus Villains acts as a really uh, kind of great introduction to what the whole mystique of Doom is, where it's just like, oh, he's, he's a super villain. He's going to be like, he, he is going to sample a lot of, you know, old school cartoons. But uh, I think there's there are so many like different moods that all feel of a kind and the way that he just uses different samples and turns them to these really just powerful earworms throughout the album. And like n- none of the songs on this record are really all that long. I think there's like, yeah, there's like 22 tracks and n- most of them are barely two minutes. Um, so it just feels like when you're listening to it as an album, it just feels like this um, really long-winded melody of just like here now here's this thing here's this thing I'm like I yeah every other time he basically switches samples it's just it it feels like such a, oh he here's another really good loop right it's just so consistently uh, fun and uh, it's also just got a lot of really interesting hooks in it like I think accordion is one of the weirdest but also best uh, hooks to use in a rap song I think just because it feels so. Like it is also, it is both like very sorrowful, but he, like, he's not necessarily, he, it's not like a dour song. So it's just a lot of interesting uses of different samples and, you know, matching that to a lot of really strong lyrics. I think it's probably one of the tightest, like, lyrical albums where he just does so many, he has so many different tricks up his sleeve in this album that I think is, you know, that obviously owes a lot to Mad Villain is, or uh, Mad Lib as well, who's like, who does the bulk of the production work. And it's kind of this really, great meshing because Madlib was this was kind of a stick too is let's use a lot of like old school samples and yeah it's just they work together so well yeah let's listen to accordion yeah it's almost got this kind of parisian kind of like yeah cafe kind of thing Like ratatouille kind of vibes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that's a really classic thing of like mentioning Dick Dastardly and Muttley and then having the snicker from them. But I, I think like living off borrowed time to talk the clock tick faster is such a really strong start to a song that sets the mood for the song. Oh, but yeah. it's like by the time of it, he's talking about like we've got more lyrics in the church got ooh lords like that's just a, such a fun like transition between like morose and really like uh fun that i th- i think is really hard to do and he pulls it off so well just keep your eye out like i i captain is he still a fly guy clapping if nobody ain't hear it and can they testify from in the spirit and living the true gods giving y'all nothing but the lick like two broads got more lyrics in the church got ooh lords and he hold the mic in your attention like two swords or you the one with two blades on it hey you don't touch the mic like it's aids on it yeah it's like the end to the means fuck type of message that sends to the fiends that's why he bring his own needles and get more cheese than doritos cheetos or fritos slip like Freudian, your first and last step to playing yourself like accordion 
Yeah, that's oh man. Yeah. This is great. It, it, yeah, it's such a thing. It's such a hard. It feels like a, this weird balancing act of like I'm gonna have these really like lively raps about you know, uh, uh, just like holding a microphone and who shouldn't uh, and like uh, that and Max mix with that beat and and thinking about how like I think the first <laughs> paragraph basically finds him at gunpoint right in this weird way. Uh, so it's just like this weird yeah. mix of like really fun moods and just the way he flips like you know such a rap cliche is like you played yourself or whatever but like you played yourself like accordion which is like you know an instrument that only like 80 year old people from wisconsin like play you know what i mean it's so far removed from like his whole world it just accord i mean sure it's i think that loop is accordion i'm sure that's why they they named it accordion but it's just it's like he does these juxtapositions like you were mentioning like the ooh lords thing he does so many just kind of i don't know just weird like the way he phrases, he gets little lines stuck in my head like that. Uh, it's the end to the means, which I don't really even know what that yeah. means, but it just that gets that gets in my head all the time. Yeah, just just seeing like a, a turn of phrase or a, like a kind of a phrase turned on its head, I think, kind of sticks out to you immediately. It's like, oh wait, that's not how you say that. So what does it mean for him to have inverted it, basically, right? And then I like the idea of it of the last song in that verse being you played yourself like accordion because it almost feels like. The entire time there's been an accordion playing, so you can almost like look at it as like this entire song we've been playing, kind of been playing a uh, like a send off note for you. Like this is kind of like us at your funeral of like because you were a bad rapper, so it's like you played yourself like an accordion, and here's my ode to you, right? Like it's kind of this weird, almost metatextual like kind of diss on on you know the the all the rappers that he's kind of dunking on in this track. Totally, yeah, it's great. Um. Oh, these songs are also short. I do have one particular part on this on the song Meat Grinder. Um that's well, I don't know if we should just listen to the whole song. It's at yeah. one twelve. It, it's almost yeah, it's almost so hard so hard to pick, like to just get it down because like hey, yeah, all the songs are really short, so picking an individual one is kind of hard. But, but at one twelve in the song, we, we let's listen to the whole thing, but like at one twelve there's a series of lines that I to me is is like one of my favorite like series of lines like in in the history of like hip hop. I just think the imagery of it is just amazing. And we'll get to it. I'll point it out, but it, it's just I love this song. The other thing I love with Madlib is like he did, he did, he does so much jazz in how he produces like with these kind of like almost real loose like drum fills and stuff Dripping off the meat grinder, heat liner, pimping, stripping, soft, sweet minor. China was a neat sign of trouble with the script digits, double dip, bubble lip, subtle list, midget. Borderline schizo, sort of fine tits, though. Pour the wine, order grind, quarter to nine, let's go. Ever since 10 11, glad she made a brethren. Then his last down, seven alligator, seven after gigs, I have a knock and no answer. Slow dancer, hopeless romancer, dopest flow stanzas. Yes, no, villain, metal face to destro, guess so, still in in escrow, just say ho, I'll test the yayo, wild west style fest, y'all best to lay low, hey bro, day glow, set the bet, pay dough, before the cheddar get away, best to get Mako, the worst hated garden, perpetrated odd favors, demonstrated in the perforated rod labors. 
in all quad flavors, large savers. Still back in the game like Jack LaLanne. Think you know the name, don't rack your brain. On a fast track to half, same either in a slow beat or that's the speed or at the cane. Ladder, pain, throwing songs lit in the booth with the best host. Doing bong hits on the roof in the West Coast. He's at it again, mad at the pen. Glad that we win a tad fat in a bad hat for men. Grind the cinnamon, Manhattan warmongers. You can find the villain in satin. Gongas, the van screeches, the old man preaches about the gold sand beaches. The cold hand reaches for the old tan Elises. I just love that. That the old man reaches. Yeah. That's like, the, I don't know, the imagery of that is so great. And like, there's just so many wild, like, references like jack lalane was some like super old school like one of the first like bodybuilder guys and like rod lavers are like a discontinued kind of adidas stuff like that it's just like he he just i don't know there's so much to like dig into there yeah i think this is this is one of like the most interesting like lyric lyrical albums i guess in a lot in Mm -hmm. that i've listened to just because there are so many times where it's like i can sort of loosely follow uh kind of some sort of narrative so it always feels like here's this these non sequiturs that he's barely holding together with rhymes but it does it feels effortless when he does it like um the the one of the songs that i i found really interesting was raid uh and i, I uh the timestamp there is like this one paragraph that i think is is both like one a perfect example of what i'm talking about but also like his ability to rap in different tones like uh there's a part where he's quoting somebody uh, where they say like, oh, uh, folks leaving the show and they're like and it quotes one of them saying it and he basically raps in a different tone and then shifts back to himself and goes like, all right, then. Uh, so if you want to play that sample. Breadwinner style to get an inner child to fill a smile. And that's no exaggeration. The doctor told a patient it's all in your imagination, Negro. Ah, what do he know about the buttery flow? He need to cut the ego. Tripping to date the metal fellow. Been ripping flow since New York plates was ghetto yellow with broke blue writing. This is too exciting. Folks leave out the show feeling truly enlightened. They say the villain been spitting enough lightning. The rock shock to boogie down the bright. I can. And these beats are just they're so weird but they work yeah. so well like it's mad yeah. on this just like they should be awkward and kind of disjointed but somehow like they have a super awesome groove yeah it's almost the kind of thing where if someone just caught you listening to that like the last 10 seconds of that of that timestamp, they'd be like what are you listening to <laughs> but it's like you you would just play them the rest of the song and they'd be like oh i like almost like an oh i get it now like that that's actually really good but it's like if you just listen to those 10 seconds it feel really weird yeah that weird kind of distorted like ripped apart sample that just sounds so weird but it's it it's like a really uh strong earworm for sure yeah, and just he has so many good like you know you talk about like his kind of dichotomy of like there's this great line on that like uh, how how doom hold heat and preach nonviolence you know what I mean just like yeah. these kind of inner like contradictions and stuff. Um, I what do you want to hear next? Surreal. 
Yeah, there, there's there's definitely quite a few. Uh, I might just prioritize here, but uh, in terms of like lyricism, uh, I think uh, Money Folder I think has a re- has some like just really strong uh, alliteration, and then I think Figaro has a, another set of lyrics that I really like. But I think Money Folder has a really strong like. Okay, the, the, he's just kind of like jumping. It's almost like word association the way he just jumps to different lines, and then um, he like obviously starts from the rhyme first, and then builds the line next to it. But it feels like he's doing it as he goes, and it's it just feels like a really. Uh, it just it sounds like he put a lot of effort to it and also that it's effortless in this weird way can't understand it ban it the underhanded ran it planned it and left him stranded the best any who profess will be remanded yes sir request permission to be candid granted i don't think we I love that so rancid he flipped it like mad and did the old jazz standard and then it's just, like, I just the way he changes uh, kind of voices when when they're like, "Yes, sir," uh, request permission to be candid, granted, yeah. And he's like, "I don't think we can st- handle a style so rancid." It's just like the, the way he, yeah, just becomes different characters in the, in the song is so like so masterful. I think. Crowd him off the shelf, he's the villain. And what about him? So, and he's a jerk, and you don't know him. Ever gonna just point out how strange it is when he says to back to an old jazz standard, and it just like plays unedited a few seconds yeah, like a jazz of a record. jazz song? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, yeah, but like that's that's one of the first times that on the whole record that something hasn't been chopped or screwed or you know played around with, and it's just like, okay, we're gonna drop the whole act for just a second for the for the for the rhyme for the lyric. I'm gonna yeah. make that make sense for a moment. I just love that commitment to it. Silly goose, doom is too jokey. Damn, he could really use and it acts as this weird like palate cleanser for the song. It's just like now, right, right. now I'm gonna rap about something completely different. Yeah, I didn't think about that. It's like a little reset. Yeah. What a real butterball. Either I get a strike or strike out. Gutterball. Rocking like gear for the forward night. And so like the that's another case of like the rhymes acting as like the glue that holds all the lyrics together to where they would just sound like nonsense, but because you're kind of, you kind of go into it with the explicit understanding that like the only thing connecting these things are the fact that they all rhyme, but it kind of still forms a loose narrative. Yeah. And just the you know, that's there's such a joy to listening to him is just like I mean, I, I like a lot of rappers, you know, I like a lot of rappers, but like there's sometimes they're, they're always with a lot of rappers. It's like they're kind of I don't want to say predictable, but like there's sort of a, a coherent thing or or some, you know, just the way they unfold sort of logically, where it's like he he just bounces around to so many ideas and illusions and references. It's like it's, it's kind of this like, you know, like kaleidoscopic kind of thing. Yeah, it's like it, you're either going for substance with a lot of rappers or you're going for like this is a really just a, a clever way to to impart delivery like of here's my cadence. And I think Doom is able to do both of those and kind of go one step further and say like just the, the actual writing of the song is actually like more cl- like more clever than a lot of people put into it just because there's a lot of like portmanteaus and turns of phrases and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just it, that's I think why he's re- like widely regarded as one of the best lyricists out there. Yeah, I wanted to listen to one song, and this is just an example of him and Madlib, like just the creativity of like where they get samples from. This is a, a Strange Ways, and this is built on a sample of the song uh, Funny Ways by an English prog rock band called Gentle Giant from the early 70s. But like, I, I, this is just like this kind of like violin ascending part, and this is just such an odd thing for a rap album. But again, I think it, it like there's so many things on this record that, which is another reason why I think it's such a brilliant record, is like there's so many things that shouldn't work on paper. 
that somehow work and they make it like infectious, even though it it, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Wreak havoc, beat beatless, mad traffic, sleek and lavish, people speak and leak it to the maverick. He see it as just another felony drug arrest. Any day could be the one he picked the wrong thug to test. Like, this is just hard, and it's like the, this sample, this super fancy pants, like, prog rock band. Yeah. It ain't shit funny. Paid to interfere with how brother get his money now. Who's the real thugs, killers, and gangsters? Set the revolution, let the things bust, and thank us. When the smoke clear and you can see the sky again, there will be the chopped off heads of Leviathan. My friend. Yeah, it's also like he's. I mean, he starts the song with like wreak havoc, beep beep. It's mad traffic, which is like a, a really like clever opening to a song. But it's like once you dig into this stuff and and kind of get past a lot of the wordplay, like you realize it's like he's basically saying eat the rich for like an entire verse, uh, like in various different ways, right? Children while the bosses sit up behind the desk It costs billions to blast humans in half Into calves and arms Only one side is allowed to have bombs It's like making a soldier drop his weapon Shoot them and telling them to get to stepping Obviously, they came to portion up his fortune Sounds to me like that old robbery extortion Same game You can't reform them <laughs> we should, we, You wanted to hear Figaro Because we, we need to hear Figaro Like this is just Yeah Figaro this is, is just, probably my favorite yeah. Doom song. I mean, this is just like a rapper like killing it over an awesome beat. I mean, this is just yeah. like this is to me is just like what rap's all about. Yeah, definitely one of the most tongue twistery lyrics I think I've ever heard. They yeah, love all these kind of Vegas jazz kind of samples they use on this yeah. record. Like Sammy Davis Jr. kind of stuff. But the clever nerd, the best MC with no chain you ever heard. Take it from the Tech Nine Hola. David, don't know their next shine from Shinola. Everything that glitter ain't fish scale. Let me think. Don't let a faint get his smell. A shot of Jack out of back. It's not an axe stack. Forgot about the cackalack. Holler back. Clack, clack, blocker. Villainy. Feel him in your heart. Chocolate chart topper. Start shit stopper. Be a smart shopper. Shot a cop day around the way. About the stable. Who to know is too molded. Wonder where the shooter go. About the jet get him. Not a bet get him. Let him spit the venom. Said him got a lot of shit with him. Let the rhythm hit him. Stronger in the other voice, we make the joints that make them spread them butter moist, man. Please, stage made of panties. Yeah, and just the way he's kind of bouncing between like staccato and like really just like smooth kind of like, uh, t- like cadence, it just it feels like the song is going everywhere. Take her for her masters, hit it once, shake her hand. Want some old thank you, ma'am, and ghost her. She can mind the toaster if she signed the poster. A whole host of roller coaster riders, not enough tracks, hot enough black, or just too hot to handle. You got blue sandals, who shot you, who got you, new spots to vandal. Do not stand still, boast your skills close, but no krills, toast for polils, post no bills. Coast to coast, Joe Smoes flows ill, go chill, not supposed to overdose, no dose pills. That yeah, that that last bit right there is just such a it, it feels like such a minefield if you try to even like just say it out loud uh but he like he just raps through it like it's nothing it's such an impressive feat that he just drops in the middle of the song beats in my rhymes attack a scary act all black like miss mary mack wait till you see him live on the piano doom sing soprano like oh my mama told me 
I actually looked up. I was curious about that line, all black, like Miss Mary Mac. And, and apparently that's an old, um, you know, kind of jump rope rhyme. Like the kids would say when they were jumping mm-hmm. rope. It actually dates back to like 1888. And in the Wikipedia for it, it says that, that it, it might be a reference to the USS Mary Mac, which was a, huh. a armored boat that got into a, a battle in the Civil War. So it's just, I don't know, it's just like, that's another thing about Doom that yeah. is just amazing. Is you can just, I was just like, huh, who's Mary Mac? And then I fell down a Wikipedia hole and I'm like, oh my God, this is like, it's referencing like something from the 1800s here, just like yeah. randomly. That could totally just have been also like just a thing he heard on the playground, which is not like, well, maybe someone, you know, maybe that was a rhyme that he'd heard while people were skipping rope and that he just decided to throw that into a song and it's not like a huge reference. Yeah, you know, it's, it's true. Like you never know. But I mean, the thing about him is that either would be equally likely to be true, I think, you know, and, and it's just hard to say. Yeah, um, but like, yeah, just just lines like uh, close but no krills, toast for Poe nils, post no bills, coast to coast, Joe Schmo's flows, ills go chill. Like that is such a song. That is such a like a weird tongue twistery like thing to to put in the middle of a song and 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 you've practiced it a bit yeah no doubt I, yeah a that, little man. bit like I, I wrote it down and just kind of just was looking at it but like yeah it <laughs> the first time it definitely i was definitely afraid that if i tried to do that i would definitely get it messed up but it's like <laughs> it and it's also just like the weird things he gets stuck in your head like him singing like figure like where he's like oh yeah i can sing and then he tries to sing and it's kind of clear that he he like he probably put effort into it, but it's like he didn't make it out to be like oh, it's, and also he can sing. It's just like him. It's almost like him doing it in um, like a performance that isn't that great, where he actually starts to sing. Yeah, um, I, th- I mean, this song's like this is like a twenty-two song album, and we could pretty much play them all. I don't think there's a bad song. I I feel yeah. like we'd be remiss if we didn't do all caps. Um, yeah, that's probably that's like one of such his- a, you know all caps when you say the man's name. That's kind of a doom like catchphrase um you saw that all over twitter when it was in that you know, yeah uh, it came out so all caps is like a, you know it's one of his signature songs i would say here's another great like awkward sample that somehow is really funky yeah so nasty that it's probably somewhat of a travesty having me then he told the people you can call me your majesty keep your battery charged he know it won't stick yo and it's not his fault you kick slow should have let your trick hold chick holds a sick glow plus nobody couldn't do nothing once he let the brick go and you know i know that's a bunch of snow the beat is so butter keep the slow cutter as he uttered a calm flow don't talk about my mom yo sometimes he rhymes quick that is also just a cl- like where he stops the song yeah. to like basically like mess with a heckler does he like interrupt himself there yeah basically that's basically what he does just the confidence yeah like the robot to headspin to boogaloo took a few minutes to convince the average boogaloo it's ugly like look at you it's a damn shame just remember all caps when you spell the man name yeah, and this song sensibly has two different loops that it's going between, and it's like the transition is so smooth that you don't realize that it's like there are actually basically two songs in this song. 
because there's yeah, this yeah. kind of like flute based one and then there's the the, the piano one and those, the way it intercuts between those two is so seamless the man with the slice wig allegedly the investigation is still ongoing in this pesky nation he got the best con flowing the pot doubles now they really got troubles madman never go like snot bubbles <laughs> yeah and then there's and here's a whole intermission It's like a little Scooby-Doo episode here. Yeah. If we're not careful, we're going to end up in the next track. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Uh, I, I mean, uh, and also, yeah, so, so many of these songs basically loop into each other where it's kind of hard not to listen to the entire album once you start. Yeah. I mean, they're very fragmented and it's, it's just kind of this big, like stoned kind of like bunch of fragments that actually just end up forming an amazing record. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, sorry, I did in fact just let it. Yeah, this, this is great. This is great day, right? Yeah, this is a great day. <laughs> There's really not a bad song in this album either. You know, it's it's pretty much yeah. absolutely 22 tracks, and I think they're all like at they're all really good. I mean, I can't think of one yeah, song it, I don't like. It's like even Rhinestone Cowboy the End song is just like such a really cool like closer to a song where there's basically applause through the throughout the entire thing. Yeah, but it's like it is this really weird. Um, kind of unique object in that you can listen to it from beginning to end as like one medley or like any one of these songs is also so strong on its own that like it's hard not to put like a bunch of these on your playlist or, or like whatever your regular rotation is so really any other, other song i mean i feel like we've covered quite a bit um i don't know if we can yeah, do all think, 22 but uh yeah i don't think we can do all of them but i think i i like sometimes when i think matt love says this quite a bit where he'll just have songs that are just like sample exhibitions and i think do not fire is the one on here i mean i'm also a street fighter fan and he has a bunch of those in this one but i like just having that as like here's this weird kind of breather in the in the album is this yoga flame on there yeah it's just the one where he he has like uh he has chun lee he has i think guile dying and i think yoga flame And this, this, yeah, this song is just like what, this quick instrumental that is just like here's just all the samples I have. This is like after curls and, and before money folder and just like yeah it, it feels like the kind of pacer that like palette cleanser that the album kind of needs right then to shift gears maybe i don't know if we should leave it with uh i was thinking we should probably play america's most blunted because this is uh, <laughs> yeah. this album is also i think a, a celebration of creativity i think it's also a celebration of marijuana in many ways and i i believe that's probably what brought these artists together uh in some ways come out to show them like open the blues up and let some of the blues blood come out to show them then come out to show them 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 come out to show them
I can't believe they had a recorder in the room with the one time I smoked weed like 10 years ago. <laughs> Some say Buddha Ed, like that, because I thought it used to say booted, but it's like Buddha Ed. Yeah, like he's, he's yeah, like he's all Zen out. It's not yeah, like, exactly. Just there's something just so funny, but it's not so darn harmful. Like yeah. it's just such a like <laughs> kind of old lady thing to say or something. I don't know. Is this the track that ends with him like wildly misspelling marijuana? Yeah, which I didn't actually realize until recently <laughs> that that he that he spells out the word marijuana, but he doesn't even get it right. Here's Quasimodo, who I love on this record as well. The beat conductor smoked 27. Shady. Even ask my reverend. Will he know how the Phillies roll? Really though. It's been my last go. Last go. Got the sticky go. I sparked a lot. But don't shoot with speed. The trees will see. Quasimodo crew. We get king. The most blooded on the map. The one astro black in the alley with a hood rat. When you try to react, <laughs> even your pops oh. got smacked. Even your mom's got cracked. Meanwhile, while my bow got packed, drop X, you can have the sex. No, I smoke things. So I can only a shadow. I, I got the fat sack. All day, honey. Well, we, well, these guys enjoy marijuana. That's the the message. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's like, yeah, it's like they do such a great job. And that, that, that last section definitely feels like here's just a, a kitchen sink of like different samples and like different like voices and narratives going on at once. It's such a trippy kind of like closer to that song. Well, I mean, I think we covered a, a pretty good breadth of what Mad Villainy has to offer, but it has a lot more to offer. So, uh, you know, we encourage you to check it out. Um, yeah. And, you know, hey, like, uh, honestly, rest in peace uh, to MF Doom, Daniel Dumoulet. Uh, he was a true talent, a, a, a real, you know, people throw around the words, you know, like unique and original and genius and things like that. But in, in this case, I mean, he, he truly was like nobody else. And I think that he made music yeah. that, you know, we just talked about it for over an hour. You know what I mean? And, and I've, I've been listening to this all like the last two weeks, pretty much nonstop. In addition to yeah, some of his and, other records, you know, it's it's really an amazing body of work. Yeah, it and like since then he's he's gone on to have like this career where he'll always partner with other people. Like you know, since then uh, he did like a uh, Danger Mouse, which is him and in, in yeah, it was like the Mask and the Mouse. I think was the name of the album. Danger Doom that was record, all just yep. 
yeah, Danger Doom, where it was just like, here's a bunch of Adult Swim. Like, we we're going to focus squarely on Adult Swim because uh, it was a kind of a collab with them as well. And then he'll, like, change all of – he'll basically change his persona depending on who he's working with. So he, he he does, like – I think the last one he did was, like, Neruvian Doom and, like, JJ Doom and all these other, yep. like, personalities that it's just him working with another producer, another, like, personality. But, like, I think Mad, Mad Villainy still stands out as the one of, of two – of a rapper and producer who were so perfect for each other in terms oh, of, like yeah. – aesthetic absolutely but yeah i think doom has been one of the most unique like you know rappers out there just in that there is really nothing to compare him to in a lot of ways not to say that he's like untouchable but it's but it, it, he is always doing something that no one else is doing like it, it just feels like he's always been in his own lane and yeah it, it's it, i think it speaks to how uh how much of an impact he's left that you know he's been able to that a lot of people try to replicate what he does, but not as well. Yeah, you know, and I mean, like, another recent thing he did with uh, Zarface, which is evidence from Dilated Peoples and Inspector Deck from Wu-Tang yeah. Clan. He did Metal Face versus Zarface. is a great record. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, to your point, I think that's a, a, a super insightful point is that he, he never he never shows up on the list of, like, oh, like, who's the greatest rappers of all time? Because I don't think he was interested yeah. in that. Like, he, he existed in his own kind of aesthetic world. I think the great artists kind of create their own worlds, you know, in, in your mm-hmm. mind, you know, and, um, yeah, he, he like, just, he, both- he played his own game. You know what I mean? He wasn't playing yeah. other people's games. And, and, and so he, he, he was the best at, at what he did. And I think to me, he's one of the great rappers of all time. I, I don't think that's an arguable point to me. Yeah. It almost feels like not to bring this back to video games, but it he almost feels like he's sort of Nintendo, uh, where it's like, oh yeah, here's Microsoft and Sony kind of competing with their own kind of horsepower consoles, but like Nintendo is kind of in a tier of their own, where it's just like we're just kind of doing whatever, yeah, no, and, uh, whatever we're like most interested in doing, and Doom definitely feels like. Like, I'm not interested in chasing trends. I'm not, like, going to be someone who is trying to, like, outperform themselves. It's just, like, I'm just doing this weird, intricate thing, and, and I'm going to do it whether or not it ends up being popular or not. It just it always, It's always felt like he's kind of, in a way, incomparable to other rappers, like, literally in, in a way that's, like, I don't really know how you approach, you know, comparing him to someone like Kanye West or, you know, like, Run the Jewels or anything like that. Yeah. No, and, it, you know, it was, it, was, it was super interesting. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but. You know, the outpouring on Twitter, like, I mean, there was, there was guys, young guys like, you know, Tyler, the creator, Vince Staples, Playboy Carti, who's like totally in the kind of like, you know, post SoundCloud kind of mumble rap stuff. Like he might not be as old as Operation Doomsday, you know what I mean? And, and he was like, you know, expressing like sadness over it, you know? And then there was obviously the people like Q-Tip and Chuck D and, you know, the Run the Jewels guys and that were more of his generation, but. It was, it's, it's, he touched a lot of people. He touched me personally. You know, I've always Mm -hmm. found his music extremely rewarding. Um, and like I said, there's a depth to it. There, there's, there's sadness, there's humor, there's just that kind of left field, you know, left brain creativity that, that he just, he just hears things and, and, and senses things I think that other people didn't. And, and he just did his, he, he made his own path, you know, and, and grew it out of, you know, a lot of personal tragedy. And, and so, you know, we, uh, you know, we say thank you for all the music and, uh, you know, rest in peace. Um, MF Doom, man, you, 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 uh, yeah, an absolute legend. Absolutely. So, uh, let's, let's move on. I think we're going to do some uh, community questions, Surreal, if you can stick around. Yeah. Awesome. Sure. Let's do it. Cool. We managed to get a good few from the community about MF Doom. So really excited to dig into these. Our first question comes from Swiggity Swoo, who said, who asks, uh, 
What do you think is the secret to Doom's unique sound? I can hear the uniqueness of his music intrinsically, but not knowing much about hip-hop, I would love to understand why it stands apart from as many other rappers of our time. Also, R.I.P. Doom, we love you. Matt, what do you think is uh, is the secret sauce there? Well, um, I, I've been reading some stuff, and I, I came across an old uh, interview about him, and it was kind of an, in, an interesting interview because it was asking, it was kind of more focused on production stuff and less on lyrical stuff. Um, but he kind of used somewhat like outdated equipment. Like he had sort of just got grown comfortable with these kind of like maybe like early to mid nineties samplers and stuff. And, and he never really bothered to like learn new equipment. And one, one thing he talked about is that he didn't use, um, quantization on his, like a lot of his drum beats and samples. So I think that gives it a little bit of, uh, I mean, you heard it in tick tick where, it's not only not quantized, it's like, you know, going up and down in tempo, but I think there's a certain kind of homemade quality to his music and a quirkiness and, and that, that where things connect, but there, there's a little bit of a raw quality to him that I think we've sort of lost because, you know, now anybody with like Ableton Live, you know, you can absolutely quantize everything to the grid. And um, so I think that's one aspect to it. And I think partially also his just, his open ear to samples that, um, don't necessarily come from like cool artists or like hip artists. Like he, he seemed to have an ear for like maybe even a song that's really a corny kind of song, but he would, he would hear like a little snippet of music in it and, and sort of recognize like, wow, we, if we, if we kind of turn that inside out or chop that up in a certain way, it would be, it would sound awesome. So I think from a producer perspective, that's some of the things I would, I would kind of take away. Surreal. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of, um, to, to what Matt was saying about how he kind of used a lot of older equipment. I think that, that really rings true for me because it just feels like, you know how like the first time you fire up something like Premiere, you're kind of just overwhelmed with options. But as soon as you look at a tutorial, it's like, here's like the five that you're going to use, the five things you're going to use all the time and right. ignore all the, op- all, all the other options. It feels like Doom is definitely sounds like someone who was self-taught and that he just messed with every knob just to see what it would do. And so I feel like that's a technique that I think he applies to everything where it's just like, I'm just going to do this and see if it works, right? Where he feels a lot more eager to experiment and not just say like, well, I've got to do a 4-4 here or like, you know, whatever, um, because like that's established best practice. It definitely feels like he just takes whatever he has at his disposal and just uses that as the medium to kind of guide him and and, and make up whatever samples and, and beats that he can. Nice. Uh, so White Max and BetoQ92 both want to know, what was the first time you heard Doom? Uh, for White Max, it was November Has Come, like you, uh, yeah. and for BetoQ, it was, um, hearing all caps on a Boondocks episode. Uh, it seems like to a lot of people, the first time they heard Doom was pretty important. Uh, so, Serial, we know the first time you heard it, what kind of impression did it leave at that time? Yeah, I just remember, like, I think that, that, that album was like full of features and stuff. Um, but hit, hit, like doom was definitely one of like the biggest ones where I was actually kind of mad that November has come, wasn't as big of a single as the other ones. Um, but you know, like it's kind of hard to measure up to De La Soul in a lot of ways, but like, yeah, I remember him. I remember just immediately being like really struck by his voice of like, man, he's got a really strong, like, like deep tone. And I, re- I really like this. And then hearing it, like hearing mad villain, uh, mad villainy, I was definitely like, Man, he just he, he like he he has a very distinctive voice that he does a lot with. It's not like he, he it's not like he's just sticking to his his shtick of like you know 
I have a very like strong voice, but he's also like really good at, you know, uh, lyricism and, and production and everything. So it was definitely like this rele- revelatory experience of like, man, he's, he's like, he, he basically has talent on every front. Yeah. Was, was that the jump then for you from Demon Days to Mad Villainy or did you listen to more in between? Uh, I listened, I think it was a lot. I think, I, I think I just remembered Googling like MF Doom on, on Kazaa and just like, I think it was either <laughs> all caps. Yeah. I think it was all caps and Doomsday were like the two that I found. Um, but, and, and so it's like, oh, I'll, I'll add these two that like aren't, that I, I think aren't corrupted or will leave a virus on my computer. <laughs> uh, but I remember like going, I remember actually it was a, it was a little while later as a, at a record store when those were still around. Uh, and saw like the the mad villain cover on a CD and was like, man, that's that's really co- that's really cool. Uh, but I ended up not buying it because it was like I think it was like twenty two dollars or something back when albums were actually uh, fairly priced, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was from there. It was it was a slowly like, oh, he put out a new album. Let's see what this sounds like, and then kind of doing that and then going back to Mad Villainy again. Uh, so that like slowly Mad Villainy became one of this thing, one of these albums that has just become a mainstay on like a bunch of playlists that I have. Mm-hmm. Matt, take us back to yeah. who you were, where you were when you first. <laughs> well, heard I Doom. mean, the, this you know, late '90s is probably like the you know apex of me really being like obsessed with hip hop, and there was just I don't know, there was just a lot of cool stuff going on back then, and I was reading the Source magazine, which is you know was kind of the bible of like hip hop, and they had a they would review like singles in there and they, they, he did the dead bent off doom operation doomsday came out prior and they reviewed that and it just sounded really intriguing and stuff. So I went down to fifth element where I used to go to like maybe get mixtapes and stuff like that. And they had the the vinyl and I bought it and uh, I've always kind of treasured it cause it's the original pressing. And I'm sure that was probably like, because the rhyme series guys were in that record store. Like I doubt there was anywhere in the Midwest. You could probably buy that record like outside of New York and they probably had it, you know, and so I've always kind of treasured that record though. Right now it's selling for like twelve, thirteen hundred dollars on eBay though, which is testing my resolve. But we'll see. Jesus. I know it's like I really don't want to part with it. I and mean, there's a difference between listing and selling, obviously, but that's what people are listing it for. And I'm like, God damn it. Um, so we'll see. But uh but yeah, no, and it just it was one of those things that just like it, it was so kind of cryptic and you know, this is sort of like not that the internet didn't exist, but it certainly didn't exist in the same way it does now where, you know, you pretty much instantly like define everything, you know, really easily. Um, so there's just a sort of sense of mystery about who he was and the record, as we heard in the songs, it has a certain kind of, like, kind of weird vibe to it. And I, I just, I just really kind of fell into that record. I just, I remember the apartment, like I lived in at that time in Uptown. And I just, I was, I have a lot of memories of just like sitting, like listening to my record player and like, you know, whatever, just hanging around playing like you know tony hawk and stuff like that sounds like heaven it was it was good times Uh, so our next question comes from disco firstly rest in peace mf doom always an inspiration and truly an innovative artist uh my question is do you have any other favorite artists from ryan sayers the label that uh that doom was on for a short while uh, personally, I'm a big fan of Idea and Abilities and Brother Ali. I'll take this moment, actually, myself, to plug our episode with uh, Justice Harrison of Skybound Games, where we reviewed um, By the Throat, an album by Idea and Abilities. But uh, do you guys know the rest of the artists from this label, and who stick out? Who sticks out? Yeah, for, for me, it's definitely Aesop Rock is is probably the other big rhyme sayers for me. And yeah, like of course, like Idea and Abilities and, and Brother Ali 
but I think for in terms of fo- artists I followed for a really long time, I think Aesop Rock is probably there. I think uh, I don't know if he's still under Rhyme Sayers, but yeah, I definitely remember his first Rhyme Sayers album, uh, Skeleton, is probably my favorite of his, and that just being a really, really strong album overall. And I think uh, like Aesop Rock is pretty comparable. Not not to go back on what I was saying earlier, he's very similar in a lot of ways to MF Doom. And that he is always on his own. He's kind of marching to his own drum all the time. It's a very different drum, but like, uh, he's always been kind of one of those like nerd rappers, you know, like a writer's favorite rapper because it's like, oh, he's he's going all over the map and kind of using all these terms of phrases. But uh, that's definitely the other big one for me. Yeah, I mean, you obviously you mentioned I'd use abilities. That record we we did on the show was great. Um, Brother Ali, Atmosphere, kind of the big three, maybe then Aesop. Um, there's, there was a guy, a producer guy named Jake one who I liked a lot. Um, uh, uh, one of their early groups that never really got enough, uh, credit in my opinion was Micronauts. Um, then there's Step Brothers, which is Alchemist and Evidence from Dilated Peoples. And then, uh, speaking of Aesop, and I don't know if, if you heard this, but actually Jason, this is the one Logan, our ex coworker likes so much, but the Malibu Ken record, which was Aesop oh, Rock yeah. and the producer, yeah. um, Tobacco. That thing rocks. That's a really, that's a hell of a good record. That's a, it's a cool, like kind of. I mean, we we talked about Kraftwerk earlier. It's almost like this weird, like rap meets like Kraftwerk kind of like synth record. It's uh, that's a that's a really cool record as well. Nice. So our next question actually comes from Ben Hansen of Minmax. Uh, he wants to know what you think of posthumous releases for musicians. He cites Nirvana's "You Know You're Right," um, and what do you think about how well they've held up over time? Surreal. I think uh, they obviously vary. I think the the last uh kind of posthumous album that i remember i think was mac miller i think he he passed away recently and they i think they ended up releasing uh a new album uh from him because i think he what was it swimming i think was the last one he released while he was still alive and i think circles yeah circles was like the the first kind of posthumous album I, i ended up really liking that album not as much as kind of some of his other stuff but uh, I think it just depends on how far along they are on on their next stuff. Because I know some of those are like just kind of put together, you know, posthumously in terms of like these weren't necessarily meant to go together. But um, I could definitely see there being another album that just compiles like here's whatever he was working on at the time. You know, and this was uh, I forgot to actually mention this. I'm glad this came up. But uh, I read on the site Hip Hop DX that um, Mad Lib said they'd been working on Mad Villainy 2. Um and Doom was sort of, I think he could be a little erratic to work for. Like he would send you a bunch of stuff and then he would disappear for like a year and then send you some stuff. But so they, ne- he, they never really necessarily finished it, I guess, to what, you know, the plan was. However, Mad Lib did say that there are uh, 11 or 12 tracks that are done, which, you know, would constitute an album. So, uh, and apparently he's talked to Sadiq. Uh, Sadiq kind of owns Rhyme Sayers with Slug from Atmosphere and he kind of has always run the business. And I think he became essentially a uh, doom's kind of manager after he was on rhyme sayers for a while. And apparently Sadiq and, and the estate said like, they're cool with it coming out. So hopefully we'll see, you know, mad villainy too. It might not be the complete vision of what it was, but if we could get, you know, 11 or 12 new mad villain tracks, that would like be really an amazing thing. Um, so, and I guess, yeah, pretty- like in general, I don't know. I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about that sometimes. Like I feel like, Certain artists like Jimi Hendrix, there's been a lot of spotty stuff, um, and and I don't know. You always wonder, like, 
some, sometimes you hear things is like, man, would this artist, like if they were alive today, would they really want this out there? Or was this not released mm-hmm. because they felt like it just didn't really turn out or it wasn't up to the standards. And I always find like nowadays, you know, with the, the way the music business is like, it's always like the 10th anniversary reissue and the 20th and the 30th anniversary reissue. And it's like, you know, they come up on Spotify and they have bonus tracks and you listen to them and you're like, that's kind of interesting, I guess. But like, I understand why it probably didn't make the record at the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's rare that I hear stuff like that. And I'm like, that's just crazy. Why didn't that make the record? It seems like it's cool, but it's not maybe their best material. So I'm, I'm a little, it's always a little weird. Like, you know, on one hand, people that are interested, it's cool that they, they're able to hear all this material of, of an artist they're like really obsessed with. But sometimes I wonder mm-hmm. if like the quality control issues kind of, are you know secondary to you know just wanting to like kind of slap some bonus tracks on something and call it like a anniversary release yeah Mm -hmm. and i think it also varies on like what the career of the artist was so i I think uh, one that just came to mind which is actually my probably my favorite posthumous album is king of hearts by kamuteo uh which he he was a, a a rapper that was kind of in the Def Jux crew and he ended up passing away of cancer in 2008. And then his last album, King of Hearts, released like two years after that. And it was very clear that he had been working on it after he found out he had been diagnosed. And so mm-hmm. that was that's very much a posthumous album that is about uh, his own death and, and kind of him looking at it, looking it in the face. And um, th- it definitely helps when it's kind of thematically tied to that yeah. stuff. But I think for the most part, it, it is kind of hit or miss. Yeah, and I think there's sort of a difference for me because I, I think the Mac Miller record you mentioned was like, you know, he had been working on that and that was intended to be a record and it just, he happened yeah. to pass away before it came out. But I think my sense was that was fairly done. I mean, in, in to the album you just talked about, I mean, it was sort of a weird thing with like uh, David Bowie's Black Star, which kind of mm-hmm. was out. Geez, that was almost I mean, it was three, he was live for three days and, it, you know, before, yeah. and so it's like it instantly kind of, it feels like a posthumous record, whether it is like, the things I was talking about are more, I would say, like older artists, maybe that where there's just a lot of stuff in the vaults, like you know, Prince. We're gonna see, be, we're gonna be seeing Prince stuff literally for the rest of our lives. I mean, absolutely, mm-hmm. we're gonna see a Prince posthumous release. I would say every three to six months for like the rest of our lives, like unquestionably. Like he has so much material, and whether all that material is top notch, I don't know. But you know, that's kind of a, you know, that's up to the estates and those people to determine that. But Sometimes I think that can go For a sure. little bit too far. Uh, I always go back to the strange case of I Was Born to Love You, the Freddie Mercury song that Queen redid after his death. It released originally as sort of like a disco, very minimal production type track, and then later they gave it the beef up into a full like Queen sounding track. Personally, I find the original version just fine, but it's undeniably a better version, the one that released after his death. Um, it's just a, a weird... Mm-hmm a weird thing to have to consider sometimes with somebody so like married and tied to his own music as Freddie Mercury was. Um, but that's when I think of songs that released after artists death, that's, you know, one that happened within my lifetime anyway. Yeah. Uh, if, even if I wasn't listening to it in 1995 when I was two and a half years old, uh, still like, yeah, just listen to that song, I guess is what I'm trying to do. Trying to get mm-hmm. everybody to do. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it can work too. And there's certain like Arthur Russell, who was a sort of a modern classical and, and, yeah, a, yeah. and a dance music producer. Like he's his, he, they have put out so much amazing archival stuff, but that was also like, that is like his partner. He was one of the first kind of sadly, like, you know, major AIDS casualties in like early, you know, eighties mm-hmm. New York. But you know, his, his label, I think it's, it's a partnership between like some museum which runs the label and then his partner, his life partner, who is kind of like, you know, 
oversees it. And that stuff has been tremendously well done and, and released like some of his best music, which just was not put out in his lifetime. Um, so it can be, it can be great. It's just kind of a depending on like, I think how, how thoughtful the estate is about it. Mm-hmm. And just how much there is, you mentioned Prince and for God's sake, like you said, we, we could get a new song every month for the rest of our lives. Yeah. I mean, uh, not that, you know, all of them would be bangers, but they would at least all be like solid music. Um, so really interesting to consider. Uh, Tim Laro wants to know what movie has the best soundtrack or rather what movie is made better by its soundtrack, Matt? Uh, boy. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a lot, I think, I feel like in the nineties, there was a lot of bad movies with really good soundtracks. Um, like, like, uh, the jerky boys movie that has a, a good soundtrack. Um, the what? The jerky boys was like, it was kind of like the precursor to like cranky anchors. Do you remember cranky anchors? Oh. I mean, I remember, I remember the name. Yeah, it was like there yeah, were like these weird, kind of weird, I don't know, New York guys that did these underground like prank call records or something, and then they, they somehow got a movie. Um, but I, I mean, I guess the, the I always think of Quentin Tarantino just because I, it's hard for me to like extricate his movies from his musical choices. And as a director, he just seems like particularly obsessed, or not obsessed, but just I feel like his soundtracks and his movies are. Like the the soundtracks never feel like an afterthought. It almost feels like he's put as much thought into like his soundtrack choices, even to the point I know in in like uh, Once Upon a Time of Hollywood, like every every song on that soundtrack literally had to be on the active playlist of a particular L.A. radio station, like in that year that that movie is set. And and Dang. just like so, he he did the research and found the old like audio logs from the the radio station. So it, that was like the rule. Um, so, I, you know, I, Tarantino to me is just like the classic, like, soundtrack director in, cer- in certain ways. So, you know, whether that's, you know, Pulp Fiction or, or really Jackie Brown or you know, any of his stuff, really. Yeah, I, I think there are definitely certain directors where they use the soundtrack more than a lot of other people. I think Edgar Wright is a pretty good example of a director who's always very yeah, that's great. particular about cueing his soundtracks to the music. I think Scott Pilgrim is obviously like the big one where he had Beck record a bunch of covers of a bunch of like songs to to implement. And then he had like the Sex Bob Bombs record their own versions of that or like vice versa. But like that, that is a movie that is definitely like about its soundtrack in a, in a few ways and even like Shaun of the Dead has a lot of like like jokes that work because of the of the musical cues or god um, I mean Baby Driver like he's yeah, constantly got sure. his iPod and that John Spencer you know Bell Bottoms that John Spencer song you know it's like yeah that's a great he's a great example too what about you Jason oh I don't know I watch I guess too many movies to really keep track um I tend to take more stock of like original soundtracks than licensed music soundtracks. And I don't know how closely adhering that is to this question. Um, but like my answers are probably the same as yours. Tarantino, I feel like Scorsese selectively is really good about that, but I'm just naming like some of the most popular film directors at this point. Um, you know, I, I'm always really pleased by Edgar Wright's ability to like work it into the, the actual like meta narrative and plot. There's that scene in baby driver where uh, I don't remember the, guy's character but ansel elgort is dancing around with the coffee and like words are appearing on the world around him and of course like you mentioned scott pilgrim works all of his rhythms into the story and into the action so well um that's like the the moments to geek out about uh whether or not they're like the best music that i know of different question um so let's get into the next one from josh carmel who says sup crossfaders 
Have you ever listened to an album or song that you could call a quote-unquote religious experience, some musical moment that has significantly impacted you or changed the way you listen to music forever? Uh, he has an example. Uh, in college, when I first listened throughout Yes's discography, I didn't understand Close to the Edge the first time I listened, but the second time through, it absolutely blew my mind, and I'll always remember that moment. Uh, so what was your Yes Closer to the Edge, excuse me, Close to the Edge moment, Surreal? Uh, I think it's... Man, I think probably the closest one is is Beck Squero. I think it's is still probably my favorite album ever, but I uh Broken Drum is a a, a song that I've that I find really hard to listen to because I I can't like not cry <laughs> during it. Uh and <laughs> it's I think because I've just for some reason have come to a so cuz I think it's the it's about the the death of one of his friends, I think. Uh I he's like a famous person. I don't remember who it is. I feel really bad, but uh it, it that was definitely the closest of like a song affecting me in a way that in I didn't know songs could. And that whole album I think is really interesting about in that it's like all about kind of like the afterworld and, and what it's like to, to die in a lot of ways, I think. Uh, and yeah, that, that song is very much set, sets a really strong tone throughout. Um, and it's, it's definitely the album where I feel like I can most um, easily live in its world in, in a weird way. Yeah, um, it's always weird with with music like that to be like, how far would I have to distance myself from this song to like enjoy it the same way again? Uh, and like, yeah. would that rob it of some of its magic for you, mm-hmm. Matt? Um, I thought of a few. Uh, when I was a little kid, my parents had Hot Rocks, this like Rolling Stones greatest hits kind of two LP, and sometimes I would like listen to their records. And the song, uh, speaking of Martin Scorsese, a favorite of his, uh, "Give Me Shelter" by the Rolling Stones. Um, that just seemed very mysterious and kind of like ominous to me as a, as a child. And I didn't really know, I don't know. I was, I was you know, I, I was probably like I don't know, five or six years old or something. And I just remember listening to my parents' Rolling Stone records. That, that song always kind of felt kind of otherworldly to me. Um, I think, you know, later in life, there's a band from Boston called Mission of Burma. And they have a song called Academy Fight Song that really was uh, impactful for me. Um, and then more in recent years, I would say, uh, just in, in the whole album, really, uh, uh, in a silent way by Miles Davis. Um, this is kind of a meditative and kind of, I don't know, uh, hypnotic kind of record to me. And that, that sort of, I don't know, it, it opened some, just opened my mind to certain things, I guess. And that, that record to me is, is just a very, like, kind of, I mean, I sound, I mean, I sound kind of like a hippie or whatever, but kind of spiritual to me in a certain way. Beautiful. Um, when I first listened to it's, it's far less like emotional gut punch type, but like for realizing this music and this moment are just for me was listening to Roadwork, the, uh, Edgar Winters white trash album for the first time, the live album that he did with Rick Derringer. Um, Damn. yeah, it was like, there's a 17 minute version of tobacco road on that album. Uh, and I don't know, man, the first time I listened to it, I don't often like do the whole headphones on eyes closed just listen thing but when it came to that point like i had no choice i was just like this is this is a like a performance this happened 40 years ago and for some reason it feels like it's happening in front of me <laughs> um i it, it's again doobie brothers edgar winter it's in my blood for some reason uh so our next question actually our final question uh comes from the crispy cream lemur who says, hi, Matt and Surreal. Curiously, does not mention Jason, but <laughs> I have that against uh, Chris. I think it's a typo. Yeah. Oh, and, and, J- oh, okay. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. Just to just 
hit enter. Um, yeah. I was generously gifted a turntable for Christmas, so I was curious what y'all thought about the recent resurgence of vinyl. How much do you think nostalgia plays a role in people enjoying it? Um, just for con- some context, I guess this does tie to MF Doom. MF Doom, since or excuse me, certainly seemed to have n- some nostalgia for the sound of vinyl, as many of the beats he chose or produced uh, featured its signature crackle and hiss. I wonder, though, if its newfound relevance will recede once again when there are fewer and fewer people with a soft spot for the iconography of the medium. So, more openly, Surreal, I was really interested. I think we approached this question on one of our early episodes, but I was really interested, Surreal, in, in your opinion on this. Do you own a record player? Have you in the past? Would you? What do you think of people buying up so much wax these days? Uh, I think it's cool. Like, I, I, I don't have a, a lot of vinyl records. I do have, like, a few video game soundtracks. I have, like, the Undertale soundtrack and... Uh, I have the Disco nice. Museum soundtrack on on vinyl. I had a a vinyl player for a little while, um, but like the weirdest experience I had with one was, I think at some point um, my brother ended up visiting my dad's old house in Mexico, and he found a bunch of like seventies vinyl records that he, that oh my, my dad God. had, and so he brought them all back, and so like we were just we had this huge collection of like LPs of like Led Zeppelin and all these other like, uh, like seventies rock groups and, and like disco stuff. It was really weird to just listen to all that stuff. And, and Ooh. like, we could have very easily just listened to them on Spotify, you know, like, it's not like, <laughs> it, it's not like they were inaccessible, like oddities or anything, but the idea of like, let's, let's get some use out of this record player that we had. And then it very quickly broke and we just, we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't justify fixing it. So, um, but like even just the idea of like grabbing the needle and holding it and, and I, I think it adds a really cool kind of uh, physicality to music. Um, and I like it as being like here's a physical artifact that is like makes no bones about you are a fan of this because you bought this physical thing, you know, in a way that mm-hmm. CDs never really were in that way. Yeah. They didn't feel as showy. Yeah, I think, Matt, last time we ha- we uh, approached this question, you said that you were going to try and trim back some of your vinyl collection. Yeah, I, no, I just I actually I bought even more. Is what I no. <laughs> Good don't job. don't Good ever job. listen to me about that shit. I it's just every time I have to like move a bunch of vinyl around and it's like heavy and I'm just like fuck this and then I just end up ordering a bunch more shit. So never trust me. I'm a liar when it comes to that. It's been like forever. <laughs> what's um, what, what's your favorite? I guess we know generally your opinion on it. What's your favorite uh like vinyl record you've bought specifically for being on vinyl that you've read, bought like I don't know in the last year? What, um, what's really sold? I mean, I would say. uh there's certain I do think if you can find original pressings of certain things um that those mm-hmm. those records really sound good like i i I found a really good uh original press of uh, bitches brew by miles Davis and it sounds great like nice. especially the jazz records I think sound great um I would say too I, you know, just to the the person's point about nostalgia like I kind of feel like we're way past that because like I mean I'm certainly not a, a young man anymore and you know I, I the vinyl was around but even when i was growing up vinyl felt like it was it was starting to kind of be supplanted by first cassettes and then you know kind of coming of age and like the in the height of like the cd era so i mean you know uh, tons of young people have vinyl and, and you know they probably are, even cds are kind of old to them so I, I don't really know if it's a nostalgia thing anymore i do think there's some interest like I think vinyl, you know, technically has a sort of a, a lower frequency, like from the highest to the lowest, but I think it's, it's a more pleasant sound. I think it sort of sands some of the rough edges off like modern music a little bit, which can sometimes be mastered very aggressively. Um, and I think there's sort of a warmth to that sound. It's sort of some like kind of inherent EQ to like how, how they do vinyl records. Um, so I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's really, I mean, 
people have been kind of saying this is a bubble, but I feel like they've been saying it's a bubble for like 15 years now. And I, I just don't, at a certain point, it just seems like every year I hear like, well, the sales are up even again. And, and I keep, I keep, right. I've, been, I've been waiting for this bubble to burst for like, I swear, like 15 years. I've been reading the same article about like vinyl is back, you know, and it's like, it's kind of been right. back now and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I mean, the other thing that I love about yeah. vinyl is just like, there is something inherently nice just about like how cover art has kind of been devalued, you know, once, you know, well, there was cassettes, which was really small. There were CDs really small. And now it's just like a little thumbnail on like Spotify. But um, there's yeah. something very nice to just like, you know, having like that artwork and just the sort of physical aspect of it. Yeah, especially Definitely. now now that album art is like more abstract than ever, where they don't really feel the need to really use it as like an advertising space at all, where it's like, here's this group, right? It's always just like, here's just like some esoteric image of a flower and like, yeah. or like, here's just a, a really kind of minimalistic shot of the rain or whatever, or it's just being a bunch of splat. Like, I think modern album art, if anything, makes like vinyl records even more interesting because they just stand out more now yeah, or, which is funny because it's like one of the least interesting things about albums mm-hmm. now is just like when you look at them and and like your music player they just okay well that's the image that i associate with this music but when you see them as like an, a physical album thing i think it's more striking that way yeah absolutely definitely that's that's something i really hadn't really considered like it doesn't have to be the thing that sells the album anymore like you don't have to go through literally any steps to listen to music these days yeah uh these days i say as if i'm not 20 eight years old almost but uh you know it's like even if you're going to buy something on vinyl you're probably going to if you don't know it you're probably going to listen to it on spotify first to see like is this something that i have in my i don't know if you have that same inhibitor matt but for Um, me every time i see i see a vinyl i think i should like know if that i want this on vinyl rather than just buying it because it exists yeah i guilt buy stuff every once in a while like not guilt buy but like there was this one record i just got in the mail uh, by a, a woman that uh she goes by the uh, weather station uh, and you know, she's a great, great singer songwriter. I think you would probably really like her actually, Jason. Um, Tamara, you know, she's not like completely removed from like Lucy Dacus kind of stuff, but I just, I just realized like, I've, man, I've listened to this so many times on Spotify. I should really just like go onto the like labels band camp and like buy this record. So I ordered it and like, I'm, I'm happy to have it now. I've been listening to it again, but I was sort of like, man, I bet I've listened to this thing like 50 times. I should probably like, you know, throw them $20 and, like buy this so mm-hmm. sometimes i do sort of a catch-up thing if i feel like I, like I, you know if i listen to something like three times or four times on spotify i don't necessarily feel like i'm obligated or something but you know like certain things i really get into and then i just i don't end up buying them and i, I down the road i'm like oh boy i should probably try to get even on that yeah yeah for sure there's something to be said too probably a different question about like how vinyl has helped penetrate other markets too like game soundtracks because game soundtracks weren't regularly released they were often like pre-order um incentives or you know bonuses or whatever mail-in type things and now you know i just received the uh untitled goose game soundtrack yeah. on vinyl because that's something that made, left a real impression on me last year and i mean you know, i am 8-bit those like, guys just, changed the whole game i mean they really did they yeah totally changed the video game soundtrack game it's awesome it's awesome what they've done good for them and that's the other good thing people figured out in this day and age it was like a lot of people now it's it's like artists like especially smaller artists they got smart and they were like you know what we're not going to think like music business. We're going to think like sneakers. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. we're going to do, mm-hmm. we're not going to try to sell like 50,000 records. We're going to sell like 1500 records for like $50 or something like that. And it's, it's like, you know, limited edition. Then it sells out. Right. And of course the label of the artist, they always keep like two boxes. Like they hold, they hold back two boxes. So when it sells out, they can like 
parsed those out on eBay over the years, like mm-hmm. for inflated prices. But it, like they're smart because like people, you know, mass market sales don't exist anymore. So you got to make it like this kind of collector's item. Exactly. What a big question. Thank you so much for that one. Um, that is the end of our actual list of questions. But uh, I'm going to mention that we're going to go out on the song uh, Ask Anyone. It is a tribute to MF Doom from Aesop Rock and Homeboy Sandman under the uh, project name Lice. Um, this is uh, an artist that I listened to a bit because of our shared coworker, Logan Lafferty, who also recommended this song earlier. But our recommendation for this episode comes from Sincerely Eric. Thank you, Sincerely Eric. Very sincerely. Um, this song uses a beat from the 1977 Fat Albert Halloween special, which then Doom used for the track Poo-Putt Platter on, excuse me, on um, Food, which was then also released as Datura Stramonium on a compilation, which now Lice is using to pay homage to Doom. So, Great song. As somebody who's, yeah, it, it's wonderful as somebody who used or who's gets far less into lyrics than music when it comes to rap. Um, it was really fun to chart where this one went and it's a great track. We'll use it on our way out, but, uh, Matt, you want to, you want to thank Yeah, everybody. absolutely. Thanks for listening. Um, Serial, it was super, super good to have you on the show. Um, I'm glad you reached out and you know, it, it's been super fun to talk about doom. Been wanting to have you on the show for a while. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a ton of fun. I love talking about like music, and 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 Doom is definitely like a, a someone who I just happen to be pretty knowledgeable about. So yeah. I'm I'm glad you I'm glad we were able to work it out. For sure. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, we'll we'll hold you to it if you rethink your stance on Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm forcing every previous guest to come back and listen to Steely Dan records. Like that's my whole thing. Um, it's like it's <laughs> sure. kind of like a torture. Right. I mean, that's, um, that's not no, a bad bit that, actually. Yeah. It's like it's like whatever your favorite music is versus a Steely not, Dan not album. Anymore. Yeah. Your favorite music. And then like every episode just has to have one Steely Dan album. Exactly. Like, okay, now back to Janelle <laughs> Monet. <laughs> Steely is the, the, it's not crossfade, it's Steely Dan versus everybody. It's the new the new title. <laughs> <laughs> um Obviously, we, we thank MinMax, everyone over there, Ben, and, and you can support them on Patreon. Uh, we encourage you to do so. And if you do, you can join the uh, Crossfade community on Discord and, and you know rap about music. There's some good discussion uh, going on there. And, you know, hey, like, rest in peace, MF Doom. Let's, uh, let's uh, see you on the other side. You had that line about the Nikes on the wire. I'd always see these Nikes on the wire when I was driving through a neighborhood. Somebody said you stayed in. Convinced I'd found the actual inspiration. For the record, I was not even close to the right neighborhood. Even when the heart is pure, the brain is mush. Thank you for the stories and the fuck you to the normies. Bruin said we lost our Jordan. I would sprinkle in some Voorhees in a great breeze. I have this memory of me and you rapping me grinder to each other at a BBQ and BK. Got the same memory with a couple other people too. Trading doom lines, that's what people do. You were always kind of me in person. Yeah. Super Villano, Eleno, chopping records that my parents listen to. Doom was on a mission to remind you that the magic is what matters. But where'd he find that banner? Where'd he find them patterns? He ain't had no manners. My favorite villain is the drop on Victor Vaughn. But every time I hit a great day intro, I'ma sing along and catch me sleeping on the GMOs. Them lessons on point. We share a brother and carry from the question mark joint. Super villain in the function and his peoples never fall. Thanks for introducing us to John Robinson and Star and the era full of rarefied jewels and making use of airtime for making bad headlines cool.
Yo, being crazy taste guts. Masa Alizars had a rep for being nuts. Extra special words, send a special herb still lingers. My pantheon is burden mingus, prince and metal fingers. Larger than life, he had his own Nike. Summer clear weather brand, dude, but dag don't. Mm, food was the anagram. First put me on, I proceed to put on anyone that was family lamb. And every particle, genuine article. Okay, you stiffed a few promoters who thought they booked a man under the mask, but they could never tell for certain. Walking the walk while talking in third person. He wore a mask so the charge won't grab. On a rooftop with a large stone slab. Seen where the industry was going and had to go nads to go nah. Thanks. A bar is not a measure. A music doom is doing this a unit of buried treasure. No one ever done it better, so I'ma keep my computer on caps lock forever. forever.